Well, good morning, everyone. How are you guys? It is so good to be back. Um, yes. If you're new to the Vine, my name's Andrew, one of the pastors here, and uh, it is so good to be back with you. I've been away for about three and a half weeks. My wife and I, uh, with our daughter Mia, went to New Zealand to visit family, uh, and uh, it was an amazing time. Uh, Graham and Lynn, if you're watching, hi, good to see you again. Um, that's Chris's parents there in New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand's an amazing place. If you've never been to New Zealand, I cannot recommend it more highly. It is more than just sheep. I promise you, it is beautiful. Uh, it's an amazing place, particularly if you go in the winter with the snow-capped mountains. Uh, it is fantastic, um, and we survived quarantine, and we are back. Uh, it was nice to be there to visit family, but it is, I cannot describe to you how good it is to be in this room with family today, uh, with each one of you guys reconnecting together with Jesus. Um, and and I, what I have on my heart to share with you guys over the next 30 minutes is in, in my opinion, perhaps the most significant ingredients that there is to help you as a human being truly come alive. And if there's one thing that I've kind of dedicated my life to, it is trying to help people to come alive, to feel more alive as human beings, to live the greatest life that they can possibly live. And I, and I think the topic we're looking at today is actually the very pivot point for what's gonna help you to truly flourish in life or to actually find yourself weighed down by the things of life that seek to drain all energy and life out of us. Uh, as I was preparing for today's message over the last couple of months, um, I felt like the Lord speak two words to me that I wanna speak over you as we start. And that's the word release and the word restoration. And the topic that we're talking about today, when misused, when not used well, has the power to destroy so much of who you are has the, the power to destroy your identity, not just in Christ, but as a person yourself. And when that happens, we're in need of restoration. We're in need of the ability for Christ to come in and restore to us the places that the enemy has stolen from us. But when used well, the topic that I'm talking about today has the opposite impact. It has the ability to actually release you into the fullness of the person that you were created to be. And not just you, but then through you, release the people around you into the fullness of who they've been created to be. And if that's true, then what I have to share over the next 30 minutes is worth you opening not just the ears of your head, but the ears of your heart. Because what we're gonna talk about, I think, has a profound impact on what the future of Hong Kong could look like. Because if we are truly people brought alive by the Spirit of God, then through our own ways in which we operate in this world, we can see others filled and alive with that Spirit. And, and we're in a season where Hong Kong, I think, desperately needs to come alive, to find its feet again, to know who it is again. And I believe the power sits in the church to open their mouths and to speak life. I wanna to talk today about the power of words. Your words have incredible power. Let me, let me frame what I wanna share about by telling you a, a quick story. Back in 2008, my wife and I were in New Zealand. We were uh, studying seminary, uh, studying theology to become pastors. My wife's a, a counselor, so we were training ourselves. And um, 
uh, we, we had a break between semesters. It was about a week long. It wasn't long enough to fly back to Hong Kong. So we stayed in New Zealand, and some friends of ours, a couple on campus, they said, hey, why don't you come with us? We're going to take a five-hour drive to the northeast of New Zealand. Uh, we have a little home there, and we're going to stay there for the week. Why don't you join us and get to explore a new part of New Zealand? We're like, this is fantastic. We'd love to do this. So we did a classic student road trip. On the Friday, on the last end of the lectures at like five in the afternoon, we jump in their car and we start to drive. About three hours later, it's in the middle, it's kind of like nighttime and, and we're starving. And typical students, we, we did not prepare any food to take with us. And we now realize that we're in the middle of New Zealand. And when I say middle of New Zealand, I'm talking about like middle of nowhere, New Zealand. Sheep and nothing else. And we're starving, and we're like, okay, the next town we come to, no matter how small, we're going to find somewhere to eat. And sure enough, about half an hour later, we drive into this small town. I cannot tell you today where it is. I don't remember the name of it. There was probably maybe 1,500 to 2,000 people living in this town. It was a very, very small town. And we were driving through the little, small, little main street, desperately looking for a restaurant. And there was only one restaurant in the whole town. And can you guess what kind of restaurant it was? Let me hear it. Chinese restaurant. Of course it was. Some Chinese guy had moved to New Zealand, found this town, opened up a restaurant, and then realized no one lived there. And not only, was it a, well, not only was it a Chinese restaurant, but this was like a Cantonese Chinese restaurant. You could tell by the way it was decorated. It reminded me of a Dai Pai Dong or a Cha Cha Chang. It was like stepping into Mong Kok in the middle of New Zealand. And I was so excited. Not only was I hungry, but I was feeling like I was home again, right? So I get out of the car. We park the car. We get out. I look into the window. Now, this is a Chinese takeaway restaurant. There's no one in there. And behind the counter, there's this old Chinese guy. And he must be like in his 80s. And he looked really old. And he looked like no one had visited his restaurant for years. And I thought, like, this is awesome. This is my chance to go in there and whip out my incredible Cantonese. <laughs> I bet this guy's never seen a white guy speak Cantonese. Now, it had one of those, you know those plastic things that go in front of, like, little takeaway restaurants to keep the flies out, right? It had those grubby plastic things in front of it. So I'm like, <sighs> and I jump on in. I'm like, oh, oh, come here, my air. Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go, fight, fight, hold on. Now this guy, this guy behind the desk, who's like 85 years old, looks at me and his face just lights up. It's like decades wash off of him. It's like he's suddenly 45 again. And like this guy is so alive and his face just starts to smile and he looks at me, a white guy that speaks his language and he starts going, and he starts speaking all this Cantonese to me, not realizing that I've just exhausted all of my Cantonese. And he starts speaking and speaking and speaking and I'm standing there pretending I know what he's talking about. I'm like, ho, ho, ho. After a while, after a while, he stops, he stops, and he looks at me, and I figure he's asked a question, and I'm like, mm. 
And then he starts again. He's he's like having so much fun. He's so alive. And I I realize that words matter. Like what we actually say out of our mouths, it, it communicates something, doesn't it? Like the language we use connects with people. And the wonderful thing about being created humans like we are is that we have the gift of this communication, this gift of language, this gift of being able to open our mouths and say something and enable people to to come alive, people to find their youth again. I I remember standing in that restaurant thinking to myself how amazing it is, although my Cantonese is limited, we were able to connect that way. And I don't know if you've ever thought about communication in that way before, but communication unlocks us to the one thing that every human being in this world longs for the most. You want to know what that is? Intimacy. Connection. Being able to feel like you're not alone in the world. Feel like someone respects you and loves you and is is here for you. If you're married in this room, you'll know how important communication is for intimacy. You'll know that when we communicate, sometimes we communicate well and it opens up relationship. It opens up a a certain connectedness between people when we communicate well. But when we don't communicate well, the opposite happens, doesn't it? It shuts people off, doesn't it? We say the wrong thing. We hurt somebody. We we bring them down. It feels like there's a a wedge between us. Our, Our ability to use our words with one another will either open us up to the greatest moments of flourishing and intimacy or it will cut us down, it will isolate us, and it will separate us. Now, you need to understand that at the very fabric and the heart of creation, God created you for intimacy and community. It's not a mistake that the word communicate has an etymology with the word community, which also has an etymology with the word communion. So our communion with God and our communion with one another is based out of the ability for us to be in community together and our community together is based out of the positivity of our communication. Communicate well, strong community, we will find communion. Communicate poorly, bad community, and we'll be broken in our communion. Now I want you to follow this. When God created you, he created you for that intimacy. He created you for communication and language and relationship and intimacy. And if that's the case, then the words out of our mouth will either align ourselves to the purposes and promises for which we've been created for, or they will drive us away from it. Do you see why words really matter? Every time you open your mouth, You are either aligning yourself and those around you with what God says about the world or you're separating and isolating yourself and people from what God says about the world. And if that's the case, it shouldn't surprise us that when James sits down to write a book to the early church, a book about practical living, how we now live, how do we now live that Christ has gone to the cross, raised from the dead, and is now amongst us? How do we now live as Christians in an empire that's trying to oppress us? James says, well, you have to understand that the words that will come out of your mouths as Christians will either draw people to Jesus or drive people away. You have to realize that if you're going to be a church in the world right now, James is saying to his church, that what you say out of your mouth will either show people Christ is amongst you or it will drive people away from Jesus. And I think what James was saying to the church then applies completely to who we are today. I mean, we're living in a time 
where people are crying out to say, what does it mean to reshape the Hong Kong for the future? And I wonder whether we might get a passion in us as Christians in this city to really truly weigh the power of our words. And I know this has been a hard three years because I've been here amongst you. I've lived it with you. We know what it's been like. And I know that there has been a lot of things that have come out of my mouth in the last three years that have not built up, that have actually cut down and destroyed and killed. And I wonder if you're sitting here going through all the things that I've gone through in the last three years, you'll recognize that some words maybe that have come out of your mouth in this time haven't been so great. But I wonder what it would be like to actually walk in the opposite spirit in our city in this time. I wonder what it would be like to, like James, say how we now live really matters. And if it really matters, then what we say matters. And if what we say can connect people to intimacy and communion with God, then we better weigh the power that comes out of our mouths. I want to shape this a little bit more with you through uh, a passage out of James. You know, James speaks about talk and language and communication in three of his chapters. We haven't got time to look at all of them. I want to just jump to one in chapter three, the perhaps the most important, the most foundational one. And in this passage, James has some pretty strong things to say to the church. I wonder whether you can read this together. I'll start in verse two. Have a listen to this. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. In other words, he's saying, none of us are perfect. I love the way James starts. I'm gonna say the same thing to you guys. None of you are perfect. You've all said things that have hurt people. You've had, said, you've had things said of you that have hurt people. If you were able to do it, you'd be a perfect person. There was only ever one perfect person. We're all on the same playing field. Does that make sense? Verse three. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of their life on fire, and it itself is set on fire by hell. Tell us what you really think, James. I mean, he's getting right at it here. Everything that comes out of your mouth, it's like a fire, and it sets things on fire, and it's like the fires of hell, he says. Jump to verse nine. With the tongue, we praise our Lord Father, and with it, we curse one another, who have been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives, or, or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. He's got some pretty strong things to say here to the church because he understands the impact and the power that words have. And he, and he, and he makes the words and he says, this is what it's like. It's, he's like, what image can I give you that helps you understand the power, the destructive, hurting power that words can have on people? Oh, it's like a fire. And he talks about this whole thing. There's one word in that part of that passage that really jumps out to us. It's the word hell. We don't like to talk about hell. Hell seems uncomfortable as a concept at times, doesn't it? 
the idea of the fires of hell, but James grabs that and he brings it here. And, and I want you to try to understand and, and try to see what he really means by this. The word hell here is, is a bit of a poor translation in our English to be hell. The actual word is a Hebrew word used here, although James is writing in Greek, but he uses a Hebrew word here, which is Gehenna. Gehenna was the name of an area in Israel. A little bit like how Jerusalem was the Hebrew name, Bethlehem's the Hebrew name. Gehenna is a name of an area. The area was south, southwest of Jerusalem, and it was a valley that was a forest. Now, in the Old Testament times, Gehenna was famous for one thing. There was a tribal group of people that lived there that worshipped a god, a deity called Moloch. And the worship of Moloch, how you worshipped that god, was through child sacrifice. In fact, they called it the Valley of Fire. And what would happen is they would set on fire the forest in that place. And when the fire was raging, people were encouraged to bring a child and throw the child on the fire. It was like a rubbish tip of wood and flames and burning flesh. Apparently, you could smell the rotting, burning flesh for miles around. And if the wind was blowing in a certain direction, you could even smell it from Jerusalem. Now, everybody in James's time and those before knew Gehenna this way. This is why James, when he writes, he says, imagine a great forest set afire by a small flame. Imagine, he says, the fires of Gehenna. And what he's saying is this, Gehenna represents for people in that day the very worst of human choices. I mean, you can't get any lower than that. I'm going to take my child and burn them alive. It is the representation of the worst thing that humans can choose to do. And James takes that imagery and he says, if we're not careful, what comes out of our mouths, the power out of our mouths can shape the reality so that the worst of human choices can come true. And, and he's saying, this is not the way it should be. Now, I, I know you're sitting there and there's a temptation to assume that you know what I'm going to say in this sermon. There's a temptation to sit there and go, okay, Andrew, I get it. I get it, right? <laughs> James is talking about like not saying bad things about people. So I'll just modif modify my behavior a little bit and not say some bad things about people and, and we're all good, right? Great, <laughs> lunch. <laughs> I want you to know that's not what James is trying to say here. James is not passionate about some behavior modification. He's not trying to say to the church, just do better. He's trying to, with this imagery, and what he's trying to teach here, he's trying to get much deeper than that. He's trying to help them to understand the very foundations and the source of where their words from. Because he believes this. He knows that, yes, the words that you speak out of your mouth can represent the worst of human choices, but they can also do the opposite. They can also set people alive with the fire of God. They can also bring people into the fullness of their creative power. The words themselves have the ability to go that way or that way. And his question to the church is, which? way will it go for you? And to, to draw that in, he, he uses another metaphor in verse 11. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring or the same source? He starts talking about sources. And he says, if you think about a source of water, can both fresh water and salt water come from the same source? No, it's not possible. Thereby, the words that we speak that bring us into life and the words that we speak that bring us into death, they come from different sources. He's trying to get the church to think about where is the very foundation of words in the first place. And because James wants to take his church there, 
I'm going to take you there now too. Is that okay? Are you ready to strap yourself in for some biblical journey? I know you came to church today, but we're looking at the Bible. Is that all right? (sighs) Let's go right back to the source. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. And empty there means this in the Hebrew, empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Notice this. The Bible starts with the idea that there was voidless nothingness in the world. A darkness over the world. Nothing existed at all. The Spirit of God, God as a deity, is there hovering over nothingness. Verse 3. And God said. God spoke. God opened his mouth and he used words and he said this, let there be lights and there was light. Now this is a very famous passage. You've heard this probably spoken about a lot. The fact that God opens his mouth and speaks to create probably is not a revelation to you. Here's what I want you to think about. Who is God speaking to? There's no one there. It's completely voidless and dark and empty. There's no need for him to speak. He doesn't need to speak to himself. And the question we should ask of a text like this is why does God open his mouth and speak out loud? What is the point of that? It's a little bit like that question, when a tree falls over in a forest and no one's around to hear it, does it make a sound? When God speaks out of the void and no one's around to hear God, what's the point? Does it have a point? What is the Bible trying to get at here? That's the question you should be asking as a biblical scholar. And when you ask that question, here's what you find that there is a reason why he spoke because speaking matters to God. Words matter. The Hebrew word for word is the word dabar. Now, here's an interesting thing. Dabar in the Hebrew means word or thing. Word or thing, which is really confusing in the English because you're like, can you make your mind up, please? Does it mean word or thing? Because those are very different things, right? Every time it shows up in the Old Testament, you'd be like, is this a word or a thing? Like, what is going on here? But the reason why is because in the Hebrew language, dabar is both. It is both the word that you hear and a word that's said, but it is also a physical thing. Words, in other words, in the Hebrew thinking, have materialism to them. There's a material substance to word. When a word is spoken, it has some materialness to it. This is why when God speaks, something happens. When he says, let there be light, light happens because there is debar. God is debarring. He is bringing material, physical things out of the word that he's speaking. Are you following this? Have you ever had anyone say this phrase? Wow, their words had such weight. Ever heard that phrase, right? Maybe you've experienced that in your life. Oh man, their words had such weight. That's the Hebrew way of thinking about debar, of word. I remember when I, when I profoundly came into contact with this concept, I was 14 years old. And I, I was in high school, and uh, I wanted to be a cool kid. You know when you're 14, you just want to be cool. But I was skinny, a dweeb, and I had really bad zits. But I still wanted to be cool. And the cool thing in my school was the theater program. If you were in the drama club or the theater club, you were the coolest kid in school. All the cool kids did drama. And as you got older in the school, you became more and more into this drama thing, and that was the way you were cool. So I was like, okay, I don't really know if I want to act, but I'm going to sign up for drama because I want to be cool. 
Well, one year when I was about 14, our teacher, our head drama teacher who was known across Hong Kong for the drama program, he wrote his own play. And there was one character in this play, it was quite a, a main character, and the character was a mime. And I thought, this is fantastic. If I'm gonna audition for any part, if I'm gonna be in a part of a play, I wanna be in the part of a mime because I will never have to forget my lines, right? Like there are no lines, right? So that's the perfect thing, right? So I, I sign up for this audition. I have no idea what to expect. I walk into this room and the room's quite large and there's a whole bunch of the cool drama kids, the ones who are like 16, 17, 18, they're all in the room. The teacher was there as well. And I walked in, the teacher's sitting behind this desk. It felt like, you know, some Hollywood audition or something. And he took a mirror and he places this hand mirror on the stage. I was standing at the back of the stage. And he goes, okay, for the next five minutes, I want you to mime your interaction with this mirror. mirror. Go. I've never acted before. And I'm standing there, I'm looking at this mirror and I'm thinking to myself, I've got five minutes, what am I gonna do? And immediately here's what went through my head. I'm gonna go up, I'm gonna grab it, I'm gonna pretend it's somebody else's. They're not gonna receive it, I'm gonna look at it, I'm gonna be freaked out at how ugly I am. But as I look at myself more from different angles, I'm gonna fall in love with myself. So I stepped forward, I picked up the mirror, and as soon as I picked it up, everything in the room disappeared. It was like a transcendent experience, if I can use that language in church. This was long before I knew Jesus. And it was a transcendent experience. I was suddenly in another world, and I was just so absorbed in what I was doing, I couldn't see anybody else in the room. And after about whatever was five minutes, I, I put the mirror down, and I stood back, and I looked up. No one in the room made a sound. And the teacher leaned forward. And these are the exact words that came out of his mouth. What you just did made me come alive. And as a 14-year-old kid, I remember hearing that. I remember thinking to myself, for the rest of my life, I want to dedicate myself to bringing people alive. And that was before I met Jesus, long before I became a Christian before I even thought about being a pastor, but now I can stand before you and I say, every Sunday I get to stand up here and do my very best to bring you alive. Because somebody at the age of 14 said something over me that had materialism to it, that shifted something, changed something in me, made me a new person, called me into a destiny that I didn't even know I needed to be called into. When God stands before creation, a voidless creation, where no one's around to hear it, he still speaks because his words have materialism to them. And I want you to see how that then comes later on in the passage in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man, humanity, in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock, all over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill and subdue the earth. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. The Bible is very clear that there is a flow to God's creative process here in Genesis. And we see it most beautifully in the creation of us, humanity. And every single person in this room, you're a human being. If you're online right now watching this, you're a human being. Hopefully are not a bot somewhere on the internet. But we're human beings, and this is about us. And I want you to see the creative flow that God has here. It's this, God speaks, he creates, he blesses, 
and then he pronounces good. He speaks, let me create this group of humans. They come into life. He blesses them and says, you are good. God has this flow of what happens in the power of his creative words and it sets up for all eternity the power that there is and when God opens his mouth and says something and blesses something, creates something, something that is truly good that will flourish in this world. And I want you to see in Genesis that God's not just doing this for himself, but he's made us in his image and then he releases us to do the same. That we also, empowered by God, created in His image, also can speak. We can also create. We can also bless. And we can also pronounce good. And when we do it, people come alive. When we do it, we come alive. It's a wonderful thing. Have you ever wondered why God asked Adam to name the animals? He could have had him think the animals. But He asked him to name The animals, he brought the animals in front of him and he said, that's a lion, that's a bear, that's an eagle. Why does Adam do that? Because Adam gets to partake, gets to taste a little bit of what it's like to debar something, to open his mouth and say something and bring something alive and see it become the fullness that God had created to be. Before it was named, the animal was not the fullness that God had created to be. And Adam partakes in bringing creation alive. That's the power of your word. This is not about some behavioral modification. Oh, just try harder to not be so nasty. This is James saying to the church, this is me saying to us, the church in Hong Kong, that we have been chosen by God to use our mouths to echo in something of the kingdom of God and truly bring people alive. But 2,000 years later, James writes about the tongue And he says, it's a fire of Gehenna. It's a fire of hell. It's like stinking flesh burning. And the question we should ask ourselves is what happened? What happened with this picture we see in Genesis and the picture James gives us in his book, what on earth happened to the power of words? I want you to see something in Genesis chapter three. Now the serpent The snake, the enemy, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said, I want you to see this. He said, he spoke to the woman. Did God really say, did God really speak? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. The very first time that we're introduced to the enemy, to Satan, the very first thing he does is he speaks and he tries to confound the speech that God had given. He tries to get Adam and Eve to actually doubt the word that God had spoken, to believe that God is actually a liar. Up until this point in humanity's history, there's only one voice to humanity. One of my favorite preachers, Erwin McManus, he talks about this as the frequency of God. He said, before this moment, there's only one frequency in the world. That's the frequency of God. And humanity is attuned to the frequency of God and it's bringing them into the flourishing of life. But now in this moment in Genesis 3 verse 1, a new frequency enters the world. And this frequency is trying to do the opposite of what God is trying to do. And this frequency is tearing apart that human connectedness to God and to one another. And what you see in Genesis 3 is Adam and Eve choosing the frequency of the enemy, choosing to believe the lie, the word that was spoken there. And in doing that, they align themselves to what that produces. You need to know that when God speaks, he creates, he blesses, and he pronounces good. When the enemy speaks, he destroys, he curses, and he pronounces death. 
That's what he does. And that's what he does right there in that moment. And Adam and Eve, they align themselves to this new frequency. And in that new frequency, they begin to vibe to resonate with that thing. So they begin to curse one another. They begin to tear each other down in front of God when God shows up. They hide because they realize that they're naked and they feel shame. Shame enters the picture. All of this simply because they've aligned themselves to a new voice, a new word. Hmm. And this is really a critical thing because when James talks about the different sources of water, he's bringing them right back to this Genesis creative moment. And he's saying, which one are we actually aligned with? Because guess what? When you open your voice, what you will say will either resonate with the frequency of God in the world or it will be in dissonance to the frequency of God in the world. What you say, what comes out of your mouth will either align to it or it will go against it. James is saying, Genesis is saying, there's no middle path here. There's no neutrality when it comes to the power of words. They either build up and release or they tear down and destroy. That's what they do. In Genesis 3, there's no Genesis 3b. I wish there was. There's a red pill, a blue pill, there's no green pill. There's a frequency of God, there's the frequency of the enemy, and James is saying, what source are you coming from? And we have to ask ourselves, when we're thinking about the power of our words in our lives, not, oh, I need to behave a little bit better, we need to ask ourselves, what am I linked to? What is the source that's flowing through and in me that's creating whatever it is that's coming out of my mouth? Is there any hope against the fire of Gehenna? Well, Scripture gives us one. I want you to see something pretty profound. Is this helping people? I want to show you something pretty profound in John chapter 1. This is John, disciple, writing to the early church, trying to describe Jesus, helping them to understand who Jesus is. Notice the language he uses. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God from the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was light to men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not uncovered it. John starts by saying, let me tell you the creation story again, but I want you to understand that this Jesus was that word. That the word that was spoken was Jesus involved in creating. Nothing has been created. You have not been created without God saying, I want you to exist without God having debarred you. He spoke and you came into being. And when God speaks, if you wanna understand the voice of God, if you wanna understand the frequency of God, if you wanna know what God says, if you wanna know what he's passionate about, if you wanna know what, what God is saying to the world, then you have to look no further than Jesus because Jesus is the debar of God. He is the complete manifestation of the fullness of the physicality of what God says. If you want to know what's on God's heart, what God means in this world, why God speaks, look at Jesus. His actions, His words, His thoughts, His life is the perfect material expression of the Word of God. Does that make sense to you? Which is really crazy because in verse 14, John says this, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. He says, words have the power to become flesh. Now that might sound like Christian language to you, but when you put it into the Hebrew context that I've been telling you about over the last 20 minutes, you'll understand this. Hebrews believed that words had flesh. And now God's Word has taken flesh. And you need to understand today, words still have flesh. 
There are some of us in this room where some of the words that have been spoken over you are words like this. You're not good enough. You're never gonna amount to anything. And those words have been spoken by loved ones and people you cherish. And those words have hurt you deeply. And those words have shaped and formed you. And those words have become flesh. And that flesh is you. Some of you in this room, somebody told you once you were ugly. Maybe it was when you were younger. And that's gone into your heart and your life. And every single time you look at a mirror, no matter how amazing you might look, you just see the flaws, the imperfections, the things that are not right about you. Somebody said those words over you and those words took flesh and that flesh has become you. And when we see it like that, we think to ourselves, man, that's full on. But Jesus comes to say, there's another narrative. There's another frequency. You are not created for the frequency of death. You are created for the frequency of life. You are not created for the frequency of shame. You are created for the frequency of acceptance. You are not created for the frequency of hate. You are created for the frequency of life, love, flourishing, fullness. That's what you've been created for. And if Jesus, who is the Word of God, comes and dies on that cross, is raised again for our sins, for our brokenness, for that darkness, if we are embedded in the frequency of the enemy, we have one who is the frequency of God who's come to this world and shown us how we now realign ourselves to the only frequency that we need, the only one that we were ever created for. There's no third neutral path. And thank God that Jesus came as the word to reveal to us the frequency of God and welcome us back to resonance with him. So how do we silence the frequency of the enemy in our lives? Let me give you two minutes and we'll close. How do we silence the frequency of the enemy because he's around us all the time? Jesus, when he's thinking about the source of our words, James, when he's talking about the source of our words, he talked about salt water and fresh water. They can't come from the same thing. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mountain, Luke 6, verse 45, said something similar. Listen to this. He says, the good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart. But the evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart. For out of the overflow of their heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus says, you want to know what the source is for the words that come out of your mouth? It's your heart. Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak. This is not about some behavior modification. It's not about trying harder. It's not about going like, oh, I just better not swear so much, you know? This is about recognizing what is my heart soaking on? What is my heart doing? Is my heart healthy? How does my heart align to the frequency of God? Is there stuff in me that's made my heart unhealthy? Because out of the overflow of my heart, the mouth speaks. The health of your heart will determine the grace of your words. The health of your heart will determine the grace of your words. If your heart is unhealthy, if it's aligned to the wrong thing, the only thing that's going to come out of your mouth is a dissonance to what God is saying in the world. There are two things that make our hearts unhealthy, sin and hurt. I love this. When, when Peter writes to his church and he describes his best friend, Jesus, you know how he describes him? He says this in 1 Peter 2.22. He says, there was no sin in him and no deceit was found in his mouth. Isn't that profound? 
This is Peter recognizing the power of words. The reason why Jesus had no deceit in his mouth, never lied, never slandered, never pulled down, never hurt, never destroyed, never killed, is because he had no sin. The only one who's that perfect person that James was talking about at the start of our passage. When you're perfect that way, you're always gonna speak good. But the reality is we know that our journey is different to that. And what Jesus, what Peter, I think, is saying here, what James is trying to get at is, if we're aligned to a source, that doesn't have to be our source. And if sin is a reality for us, as it is for all of us, our ability to confess and repent and walk in openness with God, embrace His forgiveness and know that forgiveness is Him, is part of our releasing of our hearts to the source and the frequency of God's love again. And as we do that, as we make that our Christian practice, as we have a discipline in our lives of confessing Him, we'll find ourselves more aligned to the resources of life and love and forgiveness and grace and mercy, justice, the things that the world needs to see. And so the first thing we have to do is check our hearts. Some of you in this room, words that come out of your mouth are bitter and angry and are tearing people down and you don't wanna be doing it, but the reality is there's some unconfessed darkness and sin in you. And some behavior modification is not gonna fix that. Just trying harder is not gonna fix that. It's the source that's the issue. And the beautiful thing about the Christian faith is that we get to come to Christ, the true forgiver and redeemer and restorer of all things. And in his grace, we don't get an angry schoolmaster wanting to pick on us. We get one who loves us, died for us, the word of God dying for us so that we might find the word of life in us. If there's darkness in your heart, confess and repent today and he will meet you. The other thing is hurt. Hurt will cause an unhealthy heart as much as sin. The reality is hurting people hurt people. And each one of us have had words spoken over us. You're not good enough. You're ugly. You'll never amount to something. I can't stand you. You're a failure. We've had words spoken over us that have deeply hurt us and entrenched us in a narrative and a frequency that we were not created for. And more than that, so often we speak words over ourselves that way. We look in the mirror and declare something. We look at test results and declare something. We look at our workplaces and declare something about ourselves. That is not how God sees us. And if you're here today and hurt is keeping your heart unhealthy, then the good news is that you're in the place where we have a God who didn't just say, let there be light and there was light, but a God who can debar on you right now. That no matter how hurt you might feel, no matter how broken you might be, no matter how far from God you might feel right now, he can speak a new word because his words have life. And he can align you to the frequency of his healing and restoration and love right here in this moment. And the question is, are we going to, like that Chinese man in that restaurant, are we gonna use our words to bring others to life again? Or are we gonna use our words to connect to the narrative of our city in this time and just be negative, 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 and negative? I'm tired of hearing negative things said about this city. We all know there are challenges in Hong Kong. We all know that those challenges are serious and they're political and they're COVID. We're all aware of it. But I wonder whether we might commit ourselves to bringing life wondering whether we might be willing 
to overcome our own sin and our own hurt and rise up in this time and truly speak some words of life to this city. I wonder if we could pray. Let's pray. I wonder whether you could stand with me and I want to pray over you. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for your mercy. We're so grateful for how you created us. We're so grateful for the way in which you spoke, created, blessed, and said, this is very good. Lord, I wanna pray that you would silence the frequency of the enemy over this city in Jesus' name. I wanna pray, Lord, you would silence the frequency of the enemy over this church in Jesus' name. Lord, I wanna pray you would silence the frequency of the enemy over people in this room in Jesus' name. You are not created for death. You are not created for curses, for words that destroy and pull down. You were created for life and life abundant. It doesn't mean that your life's gonna be perfect or easy all the time. But it does mean that God has created you to vibe and resonate with His frequency. And when you do that, you will find yourself fully alive and wanting to bring others around you into a place of being fully alive. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come for those who are steeped in sin in this time. Lord, we know. Lord, we know the challenges that we have. We know the sin that is in our front door, the one that lurks in our bedrooms, behind our computers, the one that is just present in us in our workplaces. Father, you know the sin we struggle with, the one that so easily entangles. And we ask by the power of your spirit right now, Lord, that we would confess that sin to you. We would be courageous enough. I wanna challenge you this week to be brave. If you wanna really truly speak God's words in your life, you need to deal with your sin. The spiritual discipline of repentance and forgiveness is a gift. It's not a burden. It is the one thing that will release you into the greatest amount of life that you could ever have. I wanna pray that you would have the bravery this week to confess your sin. For those of us in this room who are hurt right now, feeling hurt, wrestling with hurt, who have had words spoken over us that are just difficult, that have really truly shaped the course of our lives. Father, we recognize that, Lord. We, we know that, we know, Father, that, that that happens. It's happened to me many times. Father, we wanna pray for freedom in the house. We wanna pray for release, Lord, of the enemy's strategies to hold people back to the destiny God created them for. I wanna pray for healing and restoration for anyone in this room, Lord anyone online right now, Lord, that is desperately in need of a new word. I want you to know that God is still speaking. He didn't speak at the beginning of all things and then shut up. He is still speaking. He is a speaking God and He can speak over you right in this moment. Wherever that deepest part of the hurt is, He can speak the opposite word that was spoken over you. And I believe He wants to speak that to you today. And I believe that will be a 
a realignment of the source. Salty water becoming fresh again. So I pray that you would just open your hands now and just allow the Holy Spirit to say whatever he needs to say to you. I wanna encourage you, if you came with people that you trust and know, you can maybe reach out and ask someone to pray for you in this time of worship and ministry. This is the kind of word that we're not supposed to just hear and go away and have some nice dim sum or some chasufan. This is the kind of word that you are to marinate on a little bit. Invite some people to sit with you with, to pray, to do some work with the Holy Spirit on. And whether you do that work here or do it later, I don't mind, but I wanna encourage you to invest in what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you now. Let's take some time to do that as we respond in worship.